invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 22. We're actually going to start off at the end of, thir- of 21 in a minute. But as you're turning there, let me just ask you a quick question. What, when you see a need, what is the most loving thing that you can do? When you see a need, the most loving thing you can do is meet that need, right? Like if you see somebody who's, who's hungry, the most loving thing you can do is, is feed them. Give them something to eat. If you see, somebody, if you see someone who, is, uh, who, who needs a place to stay, the most loving thing you can do for them is help them find a place to stay. Give them shelter. If, if you see somebody drowning, the most loving thing you can do is say, I'll pray for you. Good luck. No, the most loving thing you can do is try to rescue them. You know, reach out or, or throw a line or, or jump in after them. What if, what if somebody's greatest need is Jesus? What if the most, if somebody's greatest need, if they've never placed their faith in Jesus, if they've never gotten to that place where they have trusted in Jesus for salvation and, and, and when they die, they're headed straight to hell, what's the most loving thing you can do for them? The most loving thing you can do is, is rescue them, is point them to Jesus, is do what you can to, to help them come to, to, to grab onto Jesus. And one of the ways you can do that is you can share how you came to Jesus. You can share with them how Jesus changed your life with the hopes that they too will be saved. But sometimes that's hard. Sometimes people are hard to reach. Sometimes people are hard to love. Sometimes you reach out for someone and they're like, no, they don't take your hand. Sometimes you throw a line and they bat it away. Sometimes you dive in after them and they swim away further. Well, last week we talked about unwavering love, and we, as we talked about being people who pursue peace, who seek and offer forgiveness, that that's what loving believers do with one another. It's what we do with our spouses and our family and, and friends and coworkers. We, we seek and offer forgiveness. Well, today is sort of a part two. We're in this series called Unwavering, looking at, looking at the, the, the at Acts, the last eight chapters of Acts, and so it's sort of a part two of Unwavering Love. And we're going to look at how Paul demonstrated unflinching, unstoppable, unwavering love towards people that were hard to love, towards people that didn't love him back, towards people that, frankly, you and I would have a really hard time wanting to love. And my hope is for us is that we'll see that the most loving thing we can do for people is to help them find Jesus. And to share with them how we found Jesus and to point them to faith in Jesus with the hopes that they'll begin following him themselves. Let's jump into Acts chapter uh, 21, beginning in verse 37. We're just going to read a few verses, then we'll jump over to chapter 22. But it says this it says, As Paul was about to be taken inside, so he's just been drugged outside the temple by an angry mob of Jews trying to beat him, trying to kill him, okay? And then the, Romans, the Roman guards came and, and, and took custody of Paul. It says, as Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, to the Roman commander, may I have a word with you? Do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out of the desert? Boy, talk about a case of mistaken identity. <laughs> Paul says, No. I'm a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Please, 
let me talk to these people. And so the commander agreed, and Paul stood on the stairs and motioned for the people to be quiet, and soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language, in Aramaic, or your translation may say in Hebrew. Verse 1 of chapter 22. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs, and, and I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way that's another name for the, the church, the early church of Christians. I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished." As I was on the road approaching Damascus, about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one who you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go to, into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you were to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus to my, by my companions. And a man named Ananias lived there, and he was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And, and at that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one, talking about Jesus, to see the righteous one and, to, and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up, and be baptized, have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Verse 17, it says, after I, Paul says, after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance and saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe in you. And, and I was in complete agreement with when your witness, Stephen, was killed. I stood by and, and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Well, the crowd listened until Paul said that word, and then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. And they yelled and threw off their coats and tossed handfuls of dust in the air. All right, like I said, the people that Paul is talking to here, for, for a little bit of context, if you are here last week, you know what's going on. If not, a little bit of context. The people that Paul's talking to here had just tried to kill him. They, they drug him out of the temple. They were beating him, and the only thing that saved him was the fact that the Roman guards showed up. 
And, and even though these people, the, the, you know, his fellow countrymen, fellow Jews wanted to kill him, Paul does the most loving thing he can in that moment, and he turns and he tells them about Jesus. He tells them about the love that he has found for God through faith in Jesus in the hopes that they, too, will find that love also. And I just, I just read the story, and I just ask, you know, what would lead Paul to do this? What would lead him to, ha- lead, lead him to have this kind of compassion? What, what most of us would say is love beyond reason. Well, if you're taking notes, I think number one is this. Paul was motivated by love. And this is sort of a, a, a recap of, of Paul's life and ministry the past 20 years or so, but Uh, The first point in your outline is that Paul was motivated by love. Paul had a love for God. And because of his love for God, he was relentlessly obedient to God's call on his life. Paul, he went to the furthest regions known to spread the gospel to to the Gentiles. Time after time, city after city, he faced challenge, he, he, uh, he, he, he faced opposition, but he stuck with it for over 20 years. He stayed on mission. He was relentlessly obedient to God's call to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And then we see here near the end of his ministry, uh, he, he goes to Jerusalem, even though he knows that he's going to face hardship and he's going to face imprisonment, Paul had a love for God. He was motivated by God, and that led him to be uh, on mission. That led him to be relentlessly obedient to God. Second thing I think we see about Paul and just his life in general is that he had a love for people. You know, he, he really wanted to see people saved. Paul truly cared about people's eternal destiny. He really cared. He knew that, that, it, that if you place your faith in Jesus, then, then you have an eternal destiny of, of being with God forever in heaven And if you don't, you're headed to hell. And he cared about that. He cared about that. He loved people. He loved the Gentiles, people that he had grown up learning to hate. He loved them. God changed his heart and gave gave him a love for these people he'd grown up learning to hate. He also loved his own countrymen, the Jewish people. Even though they, they were the source of so much of his hardships, even though there was times where you and I probably would just write them off and say, you know, forget these people, Paul engages with them and continues even there was times where paul said i'm i'm not i'm not talking to them anymore and then the next city he goes to first place to find him is in the synagogue talking to the jewish people but time after time because of paul's love for for his own countrymen we find him engaging with people even here we see paul being motivated for by love by the people who just tried to kill him and i think it's because of this last bullet point under number one is that paul had an unshakable hope that people can change Paul had an unshakable hope that people can change. I, I really think that Paul, Paul believed that, that there had to be hope for people, that God could change anybody. God can get a hold of anybody. He had to believe this because God changed him. You know, he saw the change that Jesus made in him, and he said, if God can do this to me, I know he can do it to anybody. Guys, when we have a love for God, it'll put us on mission. When we have a love for God, when we truly love God, we will do what he has called us to do. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't tell us to come and sit. He tells us to go and tell, right? Wow. Let's try that again. He doesn't tell us to come and sit. He tells us to go and tell, right? Right. Do you love God? 
Are you ready to go and tell? Yes. We're going to get out early. All right. When we have a love for God, it'll put us on mission because we're going to want to do what he wants us to do. When we have a love for people, we will have compassion for them. We will see them like God sees them. And yes, they're broken. And yes, they're flawed. And yes, they're jerks. And yes, they're mean. And yes, they do stupid stuff. And yes, they're just like us. And we will have compassion on them. And we will want them to come to know Jesus like we've come to know Jesus. We will want to make sure that they escape the, the, the eternal fires of hell and instead get to en enjoy the eternal peace of being in God's presence forever. Guys, love motivates us to hold on to hope. Love motivates us to hold on to hope that nobody is too far gone, that God can get a hold of any heart, that we can give it hope, that we can give it one more try. How many of y'all can think of somebody that you've tried and tried and tried and tried? If you hold on to hope, hope will give you one more, give you, give you that... It, that will give you the motivation to give it one more try. It'll give you the motivation to give it a hundred more tries if that's what it takes. Hope that God can use us to point somebody to Jesus. Guys, helping somebody come to faith in, in, in Christ, it takes prayer for sure. You got to pray for them. It takes sharing the gospel like, hey, here's, you know, here's what the Bible says. And here's what you have to believe but another key part, sort of in between those two, I think, is, is sharing your Jesus story. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a, if you're a Jesus follower today, then you have a Jesus story. And I want to talk to you. We're going to unpack the text a little bit with this next part. Number two is this. The instruction for us is to share your Jesus story. I want us to look at what Paul said to the crowd. He said, I'm going to offer my defense. And he's a little bit sneaky about that because he doesn't really offer his defense. He shares the gospel. He shares his testimony. He shares his Jesus story about how God changed him. And he does this, you know, he shares, here's how I used to live. Here's how, here's how I got saved. Here's how Jesus has transformed my life. Listen, if you're a Christian, if there's been a time where you did what Connor did and placed your faith in Jesus, then you have a testimony. You have a Jesus story. And there's, there's three parts to the Jesus story. There's the owl, the how, and the wow. Let's say that together. The owl, the how, and the wow. Let's talk about the owl first. When you think of owl, think of my life before I met Jesus. The owl part of your Jesus story is my life before I met Jesus. That's what Paul starts off with in, verse, uh, in Acts 22, verses 1 through 5. Paul tells the people about his life before he met Jesus. You know, he's like, I, I'm, I'm a Jew, and I was trained up by Gamaliel. I think that's the same Gamaliel who spoke up like in Acts 4 or 5, who said, hey, listen, guys, if, if, these, if these apostles, these men of, of, of Jesus are, are fakes and phonies, then, you know, nothing, nothing to it. You know, they'll, they'll fade away like every other thing. But if they're for real, then nothing can stop, you know, what God's about to do. I think it's that same dude. I have to go back and look. Should have looked, should have looked that up. I'll let y'all do that for homework, all right? But, but Paul says, look, I was trained by like the best of the best. And I'm a Jew just like you. And, and look what he says here. Verse 4, he says, um, or you can flip back to verse 4. It says, I persecuted the followers of the way, the, 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 the church of, of Jesus there, uh, hounding some of them to death, arresting both men and women, throwing them in prison. And so Paul tells them who he was. He tells them what he did. He tells them how he lived, all the trouble he called, all the messes, all the messes that he made. Guys, that's your owl. Before you met Jesus, your life, what do you say when you get hurt? 
ow. What does somebody else say when you hurt them? Ow. When you're a little kid and your brother just looks at you cross-eyed and you just call out to your mom, ow. You know, he's right. I mean, even if you didn't get hurt. That's your, that's your story before you met Jesus. Before you met Jesus, many of us have a similar story to Paul. We were on a path that we thought would lead us to happiness. We thought we were on a path that we thought would lead us to fulfillment, chasing after you know, money or sex or pleasure or achievement or prominence or promotions or recognition or power or any of those things that people normally think will make them happy. And what we find out is it leaves us miserable and empty and broken. It makes a mess of, of our lives. It makes a mess of other people's lives. And that's our life before we met Jesus. Some of you, maybe you met Jesus at a very early age, and you're like, listen, I was six years old. I wasn't chasing after money and sex and drugs and all this other stuff, you know? <laughs> but maybe as you grew up in the church, you, you just sort of thought that being a Christ follower is about following all the rules. Being a Jesus follower was about being a good person. And some, sometime when you got a little older, you realized I'm empty and broken. And I don't have that close walk with Jesus like, like I should have. And there was a time in your life where you said, you know what? Things are a mess. And I know I got saved when I was a little kid, but now it's finally clicking with me. Some of you, maybe you thought you got saved when you were a little kid, and it wasn't until you were older, a teenager, even an adult, where you said, wow, I, my life is still an owl. Well, then we get to the next part, which is the how. How we met Jesus. How I came to know Jesus. The how is my life before Jesus. The how is how I came to know Jesus. Paul, in the next uh, 10 verses or so, tells about the encounter he had where Jesus revealed himself. Verse 14 and 15, he's meeting with Ananias, and Ananias tells him, he says, you know, the, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one. That, that name, righteous one, those words, righteous one, are capitalized many times, or pretty much almost all the time when you see um, uh, a name like that capitalized, it's referring uh, to, to Jesus. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it definitely in the New Testament. So here it's talking about Jesus and to hear him speak, for you are to be his witness telling everyone you have seen around him. Uh, excuse me, telling everyone you have, uh, what you have seen and heard. Paul thought that he was on the right track. Paul thought that he was headed down the right path with God. And then one day God revealed to him that he was way off base. And Paul had an encounter with Jesus. And he, that's his how. So as you're sharing your testimony with somebody, you share with them, hey, here's how my life was a mess. Here, here's, here's my owl part of my story. My life was a mess, but then here's how I met Jesus. This is, this is the, 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 you know, maybe somebody shared the gospel with you. Maybe it was at youth camp or vacation Bible school. Maybe it was one day here at church where things just clicked with you. Whatever it was, there was some moment where you realized who Jesus was, what he did, and that you needed to respond. You realized who Jesus was, that he is the son of God, the savior of the world. He is the Lord of all creation, and you owe him everything. He is the one that you need to place your faith in. What he did, you realize not just who he was, but what he did, that he died on the cross as a, as a sacrifice for your sins and my sins, that he paid the price so that if you place your faith in Jesus, you don't have to go to hell, but instead you can have peace in this life and peace for all eternity in God's presence. 
You realized who he was or who he is, what he did, but also that you have to respond. You see, you have to do something with that information. You have to, you have to do something once you get that information. We live down in Corona de Tucson, and they've just widened Houghton Road, and people sped before it was wide. They sure speed now that they've made it double lanes. And when you see somebody coming the other way, and they're like, flash, 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 what are they telling you? There's a cop ahead. What do you do? You know, speed up? Come and get me. No! You have to do something with that information. They have warned you that you are a sinner and judgment is just up ahead at the next, right past the fairground sign and you got to do something and you can either ignore it and get a ticket or you can say, you know what, I believe, I, I believe this is the time for me just to rest and just to kind of back off and, you know, let Sean pass me and let him get the ticket. I hope he, because we're neighbors and, you know, never mind. The same thing is true with Jesus. Once you realize, once God reveals to you who Jesus is and what he did, you have to do something with that information. And you say, I'll get saved later. I'll accept him later. I'll say yes later. That's just no. You can either say yes or you can say no. If you say yes, what was it? John 1, 12, to all who call on his name and believe in him. I should know this verse. I'm sorry, but... You know, he gives the right to become the children of God. You become a child of God right then. If you say, ah, maybe later, that's just as good as a no. That's your how. And for those of you who have said yes to Jesus, well, you got a wow. Everybody say, wow. wow. Yeah. You got a wow. This is how Jesus has changed my life. I used to sit in the back. Now I sit up front. No, I'm just, you know, I don't. <laughs> Acts 22, 17 to 21, Paul shares that now his life has a whole new mission. In verse 21, he says, But the Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Instead of trying to stomp out the church, Paul was now starting churches. Instead of now, instead of defending a, 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 an old dead religion, Paul was now telling people how they could have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. God completely changed Paul's life. And this is where you get to tell somebody the wow of what Jesus is doing in your life. Wow, my life is totally different. I used to be going in that direction. Now I'm headed in this direction. I used to be chasing after sin. Now I'm chasing after Jesus. I used to go out and get drunk. Now I'm getting drunk on Jesus. I used to get high. Now I'm praising the most high. It's corny, but it works. Um, <laughs> I used to live for myself and do whatever I thought would make me happy. But now I know that by living my life in relationship with Jesus, that's where I find joy, unending joy, joy like I've never found before. I've shared this with you before. I'm going to share with you just how quickly, how easy it is to give, them, give people your how, excuse me, your ow, wow, ow, how, and wow Jesus story. I didn't grow up in a stable home. 
By the time I was 14 years old, my mom had been married and divorced, I think three, maybe four times, and was in her fifth serious relationship with a dude. I didn't know it at the time, but at 14 years old, my life was headed down a path where I was probably going to make a lot of the same relationship choices, probably going to make a mess of my life and the lives of others around me. Then one day when I was 16 years old, I met Jesus. And I discovered that by living my life in relationship with him, everything could be different. Today, Bridget and I, my my first and only wife, we've been married for 30 years. We have three kids who all know and love Jesus and have found ways to serve him. And I get to do what I love for a living, which is tell people how they can find Jesus also. That's my owl, my how, and my wow. Here's your homework, guys. Write out your Jesus story. Write out your Jesus story. You're like, oh, I did that. I did that 10 years ago. Well, I hope your, I hope your wow is updated from 10 years ago. I hope there's a new wow in your life. So update it. If you've already written out your testimony, do it again. Write out your Jesus story. Step two, practice it. Get it down to a minute or less. Okay? If people want to know more, They'll ask you, and you can talk more, but start off with with a short one, okay? Practice it. Share it with someone who likes you, all right? Don't go and try to talk to the most anti-Jesus person at work or school or in your neighborhood with your testimony. Start off with someone who likes you. Hopefully, your husband or your wife likes you. Start off with them, you know? Uh, Just do it. Tell your dog. My dogs love it when I practice a sermon at home because I'm shouting and all this stuff, and they're like, what is going on, you know? But... (laughs) But, you know, so, so write it out, practice it, share it with someone safe, you know, someone who is, is going to be positive to you, and then pray. Pray for an opportunity to share your testimony. You probably have somebody in mind that you're thinking of that needs to hear about Jesus, that needs to be rescued, whose greatest need is to come to faith in Christ. Pray for that opportunity. And then, finally, commit to share your testimony with them. Because of your love for God, because of your love for them, and because of your belief and hope that, hey, nobody is beyond God's reach, nobody is too far gone, share your testimony. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, all across the room, God, I know that there are Christians right now who Maybe today's message landed with them and they're excited and they're like, I can't wait to go tell somebody. I've already got somebody in mind and man, I can't wait till Monday or Tuesday rolls around or or even this afternoon. God, would you just fan that flame, that fire that's burning in them? Lord, I know that there's also people who are just terrified of the idea of approaching somebody else and and getting a a Jesus conversation started. Lord, would you just give them confidence in you and remind them that somebody took the step with them. Somebody broke the ice. Somebody started the conversation with them. God, I also realize that there may be people here, there's probably people here who don't yet have a Jesus story, and today could be the day of salvation for them. Today could be the day where they place their faith in Jesus, where you take their owl and turn it into a wow. Let that be that. Let today be that day for them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.